0: Welcome to the Brownstein-Hyatt-Farber-Schreck podcast series. A power shift in the House has completely transformed the nature of congressional oversight. While Congress's relationship with the President has dominated headlines, deliberate and methodical oversight is having a real impact on private companies. Mark Begich moderates a discussion with Brownstein's Congressional Oversight and Investigations team, providing an overview of the current landscape and advising on best practices for businesses, corporations, and individuals facing a potential investigation.
1: Welcome back to another Brownstein podcast. I'm Mark Begich, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Wilmoshela, Greg Brower, Zach Pfister, and Bill McGrath. The topic of the day is oversight. And I can tell you we've seen a lot of it. It seems like there's an uptick in Congress these days on oversight. And let me first start with Will and just it seems now that the House is Democrat controlled. This might be an obvious question with an obvious answer. Has there been more oversight?
2: <laughs> Absolutely. It's been an uptick, tick, tick, uh, and it keeps going up. I think there was a little bit of, you know, everybody predicted more oversight, particularly of the administration, but I think uh, the Democratic majority has their uh, sea legs. Um, it takes a little while to um, uh, get the transition right. And they seem to be moving full steam ahead on multiple fronts, and the administration isn't, isn't one of them. So a number of our clients are, are watching carefully what uh, congressional oversight is next.
1: Let, let me ask you, Zach, it seems like the House, it's almost like uh, 50-50 or more, on oversight than ever before. I know when I served, oversight was like rare, and only when someone did something really bad, then you had some hearing. It seems like now it's almost like common practice, and it's become part of the the larger picture of discussion. When you got the president's issues
3: around tax Mueller and all that, but then there's other oversight that's occurring. I mean, I think if you if you look at it on two tracks, you you have the oversight of of the administration, which you know which is common. Um, in any congressional setup in, in the Obama administration, the Republicans I think uh, were pretty regular about their respective oversights of federal agencies and and various aspects of the administrative process. Uh, what I think you know the uptick that will 's referring to uh, is that you 're seeing not just the House Oversight Committee more active than ever you 're seeing uh, oversight subcommittees and all these respective committees of jurisdiction. So energy and commerce or Ways and Means, House Financial Services, those oversight subcommittees are incredibly active this Congress. Uh, th- to your point, they are running a parallel with every legislative effort. So uh, we take the issue of something like drug pricing. You see a corresponding oversight parallel there where uh, Senate, you know, Senate Finance might be bringing in um, the CEOs, but some of these oversight subcommittees on the House side are bringing in the heads of IP or the heads of the pharmaceutical divisions uh, to inform them. On you know the decisions that they want to make in this legislative process which, as there's legislation moving. as there's legislation moving or and, and not necessarily even moving yet but being crafted right because to Will's point about you know the Democrats having their sea legs you know they they've been out of power for for eight years and so I, I feel like there is a there's a lot of pent up um, ideas energy uh, and folks you know seemingly wanting to make up for lost time and. In a, a setup here, where you have a, a divided government and a, and a uniquely divided government, in that respect, in my opinion, um, you know, you have a, a arguably a more progressive house than than the last time they were in charge. Um, you have a, you know, you still have a Republican Senate, and then you have a, a unique. Republican administration let's just say that in terms of uh, ideologies uh, and whatnot and so you're, you're finding strange bedfellows on issues of common ground in a very tense political environment nonetheless um, so I so I think through your point about that increased oversight in those respects that's why you're seeing that parallel kind of accompany these respective uh, legislative tracks, let me ask you
1: this, and let me ask uh, Bill this question because I know you work in energy and environment, and we have clients you know Brownstein has a lot of clients that deal with issues obviously in front of Congress, and it seems like that has gotten especially from the administration side a on the house side, uh, a strong uptick. It seems that way to me, but
0: no I think that 's right I think that what you see, and when I was back on the House Oversight Committee, uh, we would spend a lot of time going after government when they were issuing rules, mm-hmm. um, because obviously government... of Yeah, anything like any regulation would come out, trying to influence the way that would come. I think that, that with Democrats in charge, there's more interest in going after some of the private companies. So when a company is getting close to a permit being issued, they might do some strategic oversight to that company at that time frame to try to change the the trajectory of the or make or lengthen the permitting process and so that's something we've seen quite a bit uh, recently Greg
1: I, I, you know we we deal with a lot of folks at industries here you know people come in and and anytime you hear the word oversight people get nervous sometimes for good reason sometimes not you know sometimes they just overzealous do so you think there's been a merging of what what I would call traditional oversight job but then the politics of grabbing, you know, it seems like there's always noise out there in the headlines. Give me your sense of how that's going and how that's affecting the ability for people to get business done in Washington because of these oversights or potential oversights or when people get what I call the letter. You know, they they get this nice little letter. It's very nicely formatted. And then it's like 700 questions. What is that doing to this legislative process that we're in? and, And is it, you know, I guess some oversight is good. Some is just politics, but what's the balance do you think right now is happening out there?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, of course, oversight, congressional oversight has always been political. Uh, it, it's inherently uh, political as part of uh, Congress's mission to oversee the executive branch and companies, uh, private sector entities that are uh, regulated by, uh, by the government and affected by legislation. But I think increasingly, it has become more political lately I think in part it's because with the divided government that Zach described, we have a very progressive um, Democrat-led house that uh, feels uh, that its legislative role is largely stymied by the Republican Senate. And so to some extent, the only game in town is to do aggressive oversight. That's where they can really really flex their muscles and Mm -hmm. so they're doing so. But like everything else in Washington, yes, oversight has become uh, more political – uh, the The arguably most important oversight that 's done on a day to day basis uh, is done by the agency and department oigs and that 's very important and that of course is is in large part managed by Congress mm-hmm. and directed by congress but that 's the boring stuff you know that 's the program <laughs> reviews and it 's all very important uh, but But it's often not political uh, at all. And it's about this thick, right? It is. Inches
1: and inches of paper. (laughs) It is,
4: exactly. And OIGs, uh, um, as part of of their unique mission, uh, do reviews and do oversight in an apolitical way, which is is not exactly what um, the politicians on the Hill want. (laughs) So they do their own oversight. And again, increasingly, it's very political.
1: What do you think? And I guess Will or anyone can talk about this. You know, you see more now in the news – um, from this current administration, that they're not accepting some of the subpoenas. They're they re- I don't want to say rejecting them because I'm not sure that's the right term, but they're just ignoring them. I guess is that a danger? It doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican in, in control. Is that a is it a warning that you know what happens if there's a different president, a different Congress? That is it now the course that hey, who cares what the subpoenas say or what what does this mean?
2: Sure. Look, when I was uh, at the Justice Department, uh, we certainly opposed certain oversight and we uh, pushed back on certain investigative demands. I think uh, the jury is still out in this sense. Uh, A a number of requests to the Justice Department, for example, really came – they were extraordinarily broad. They came with very little return time. And with an immediate threat of – When you say return
1: time, responding – Responding, responding to the, the subpoena
2: yeah. um, and and for mil- millions of documents potentially. And so we've had a lot of talk in Washington about assertions of executive privilege. Technically, it's uh, – what was asserted was a protective claim – Of privilege, because there's no way the department was able to go through all the those documents. I think you've seen recently uh, a an agreement with the House Intel Committee um, over documents relating to uh, the special counsel's investigation. Looks like there is a deal of sorts with the House Judiciary. Committee, You know, those things can fall apart over time. But, you know, the protective claim wasn't going to last forever. And uh, it's part of the accommodation process. Uh, what do you really – you know, the administration ultimately is going to say, what do you really need? Um, the department's going to uh, – and, and the department and agencies are to going to, to fight for their prerogatives and, and negotiate. And by and large, that process works. You know, it won't work where it gets overly – political, as, as Greg said, but I, I neither side wants to take a bad decision in court. Yeah. The interesting thing about these separation of powers issues is by and large, they do get resolved. They accommodate one another's interest because neither side wants to get a bad either D.C. Circuit yeah. opinion or ultimately a Supreme Court I mean, decision. It, it's
1: the fear that the courts could make the judgment on what is separation of powers, which makes people nervous. And ultimately harm one branch of the uh, – right. branch of and government or the other. who's ever side you're on too, and right? Courts are a
2: little bit reluctant th- uh, to get involved in these. Um, there's a case from the uh, 80s uh, in which the D.C. Circuit basically said – I might resolve this, but not right now. You guys haven't allowed the (laughs) accommodation process to go far uh, along. And I think one of the things we've seen is some instant headlines about, you know, the executive branch pushing back. But I don't think that's sustainable. In the long run, we're going to return to some amount of normalcy. uh, And as we've already seen, there's been some accommodations already made and some highly political
1: investigations. So, So, Greg, he's very optimistic. What do you think?
4: Well, I would I would share <laughs> Will's optimism. Of course, when he and I were in the middle of those negotiations during our respective times uh, at DOJ, we were always eminently reasonable. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and we're that's
1: always... why you're here at the Brownstein <laughs> team, because that's what we do.
4: Yeah, and, and so we were always trying to look for accommodation. But Will is right. Accommodation is the rule. I, the, the one recent trend that I would point to, Mark, that is disturbing and hits kind of close to home for me and should concern all of us is – the The increasingly political nature of of demands on the Department of Justice and the FBI for sensitive national security and law enforcement investigative information
1: while those investigations are going on exactly
4: right? and and while that 's not entirely unprecedented in the last couple of years we 've seen a significant increase in what I would call politically motivated requests that when it when it comes to sensitive national security information and ongoing criminal investigations is a very dangerous thing. And uh, I'd like to to see cooler heads prevail uh, with more accommodation on both sides and more leadership from the executive branch in tamping down those controversies. Uh, but it's been, I, I think, um, uh, unusually hot in that area uh, lately, unfortunately.
1: So let me talk about calming of uh, calm people uh, representative Maxine waters uh, Zach, uh, you know she sent out a letter or an inquiry I guess is the right word uh, forty largest banks and all kinds of questionnaires. Uh, is it to get to an answer or is it to get to a headline? How do you like that for me putting you on the spot Well <laughs> but, I mean it is you know we we brownstein represent financial institutions, and it seems like these letters are longer than. My son's Christmas list, let me just say that, and his is a long list.
3: <laughs> well, and, and this is actually, you know, a good example of an alternative type of oversight. Um, you, you referenced Interesting early, way describe you describe alternative. You, you, well, you referenced, you, you referenced earlier the, you know, the, the letter, not necessarily the, the oversight hearing or, um, you know, something where a, a subpoena is going to be right. involved or witnesses, but uh, I think even the— the looming threat of of such action um, presents an opportunity for congressional uh, chairs, committee chairs, to uh, gather information in a way that is, as you mentioned, friendlier. Yeah. Uh, but for purposes of of you know this request, I, I think this specific request was regarding various facets of. Of these corporations or these banks, um, diversity and inclusion practices, ranging from you know C-suite representation to asset managers and um, and the like, and, and hiring practices, et cetera, mm-hmm. to kind of exhibit the profile of the, the largest financial institutions in, in the country. Uh, and I don't think that there isn't was necessarily. Uh, anything to indicate that there was a plan to do anything with us other than to use it as a marker for uh, revisiting, say, a year from now, so they understand, uh, you know, in okay, It's in a baseline. T- right, a baseline. You're in you're June at. of 2019, you stated right. X, Y, and Z statistics. How have you? Improved on those practices uh, since we last discussed this, and now it's June 2020 in uh, in a financial services mm-hmm. here.
1: And it sets the stage. It sets the stage. And, Will?
3: I'll, and I'll add that uh, these committee chairs
2: in the House know that their legislative agenda is likely DOA in the Senate, so they may be able to affect some change by getting certain answers, which may not. Be favorable to the company in question, and then release those publicly, and
1: it might move the Senate to do something.
2: Well, right. or it might just move we'll the that companies. those companies to do something right. voluntarily Instead without of without legislation. And so it's a little bit of a, a bully pulpit. Look, the the multi-question letter is nothing new. Um, I refer to these as Dingle Grams after uh, John Dingle, <laughs> who. Um, Famously uh, and maybe infamously you know would uh, send these letters to the government to corporations and uh, use them to great effect and I think that particularly for for um, an industry that's highly regulated, you re- really run a risk of um, uh, not answering a letter like this or being cooperative, accommodating the committee's needs as we like to say. And so uh, it, it's usually a fairly effective tool for someone like um, Chairwoman
0: Waters to use. We
1: we used to call them uh, – I used to call legislation like that awareness legislation. <laughs> we make them aware. Uh, we about to say something? About well,
0: that? I was going to say it's interesting to see how they are using this, right? It, behind the, the power of oversight is supposed to be the legislative purpose. Um, I can't imagine a court ever actually getting into defining what a legislative purpose is for Congress. But some of the things – are, are kind of clearly not really for legislating but just for either embarrassing a company and or collecting information. And so that's somewhat of a, a, a new thing that's being done. A lot of times there would be um, coordination with outside groups in this, these sort of collections, but I think this is being done more in this uh, – Congress.
1: What do you think, you know, if you were to, you know, as I know, we have lots of clients that are always asking about what does this mean or what this committee, maybe they're not even part of the oversight, but their industry might be touching it. Here, we're about to move into pretty aggressively, probably the next 30, 60 days, more than we think uh, the presidential race, knowing the legislative agenda of Congress will be really, really slow compared to what it is now, which is slow in itself, because people will be looking at the presidential. Do you think these uh, there'll be even a, more of a ratchet up on these oversights. In other words, will the House Democrats use it as a tool to assist their candidate on the other side, the Senate, getting you know Republican-controlled using their oversight for control, or at least highlighting things that may be beneficial to their candidate? I mean, is this a new? Could this be a new part of the equation?
0: Yeah, it's obviously you're trying to move the agenda through – I mean the top priorities are health care, trying to keep that on the, mm-hmm. on the front burner, drug pricing. So ways you can use oversight to push an overall messaging agenda um, is something that is being done and obviously they're trying to keep that away from impeachment right now right. and focus on these sort of legislative efforts. So I think that's something you'll it, continue to Burrus, Jr.
1: impeachment is like the the big thing that's hanging out there yeah. but everyone's on these other pieces because they do have – legislative impact, but they also have, um, in reality, they they have more impact long-term to people. Uh, Great.
2: And I, I'd also add, the, and the things that I would really keep an eye out for are the bipartisan efforts. Right. Believe it or not, there are some.
1: Well, I think drug um, pricing might be one of them.
2: I, I think that there are several in the healthcare area mm-hmm. where um, some business practices are coming under scrutiny and that Republicans are not um, – necessarily going to be a knee-jerk supporter of business or industry. I think that the recent announcement by the House Judiciary Committee that's involved in a lot of, um, as Greg says, political, but both and partisan um, oversight, I actually think, though, they're undergoing uh, what looks like a bipartisan review of, um, for lack of a better term, big tech. Mm -hmm. And so um, those are efforts that may lead... Uh, towards some sort of, you know, lasting uh, result. Um, And some of those things are parallel to other investigations. So then you really need to watch out for for that. So where Congress begins an investigation that's also being undertaken by either the FTC, Department of Justice, state AGs. Um,
1: And civil litigation as well.
2: And civil litigation. So those are particularly powerful. I think there are uh, a handful of of examples of those, and those very well may grow.
1: Great.
4: Yeah, I, I think Will makes an excellent point. Uh, just from the the private company or industry perspective in terms of, of concerns with oversight, things to look out for, potential minefields, the parallel proceedings is a big one. Um, oftentimes, companies are uh, potentially being investigated by DOJ. Uh, there may be some civil suits related to the same topic uh, uh, pending. And then they get oversight requests as well. And navigating all three of those so as not to uh, create unnecessary exposure in any of the three areas is is challenging but very, very important. And that, that really needs to be um, – uh, Something that any company summoned to the hill, whether for document production or for witness testimony, um, needs to, to think about: is there is there a grand jury investigation on the same topic? Have we been sued? You know, are the plaintiff's lawyers circling on the same topic? How do we, in a holistic way, kind manage of coordinate this? all that? Exactly,
1: Zach. Let me ask you this: is kind of maybe the closing. Others may want to comment on this, but you know, so, so someone gets an inquiry, gets a letter, gets a request. What's the best advice for them? Other than, of course, hiring Brownstein, that would be the first thing we would advise them. But what would be the thing that we would want them to be aware of, and uh, making sure it's the as positive experience as possible? No, I, I, I've known no business people that want to be in front of Congress, let alone be in Washington. I mean, that's my experience with business people. They're like, "Hey, let us run our businesses. We'll do what we're doing. I don't want to come to Washington." So, but what do we? What's that kind of overarching thing we would say to them?
3: I, I guess first is don't panic. Don't uh, panic. S- That's a good. Second, <laughs> well, you know, some the, do they
1: the, panic and get themselves going down the wrong path because they don't know what they're looking for yet. And,
3: and you know, I mean, a letter is different from uh, from a briefing is different from a hearing, um, right. and they tend to to move in those tracks. And at some point, I mean, if you are if you are in 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 a sector where uh, Congress has shown significant interest in oversight. Um, given the environment and given this uptick that we've all been discussing, uh, you should expect that um, whatever you're engaged in uh, may draw that same interest. And I think that you know, you start with the letter, uh, you 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 maybe seek. Uh, uh, respective conversations uh with, with the with the respective staff and whatnot. Uh and, and then you see where it goes. If if a, if a, if an office sends you a letter and you answer it and it's not to their liking, they will let you know. Oh yeah. And, and they may send you a follow up letter. <laughs> yeah. Um uh, but uh, but if you were going to engage on that, if you choose to respond, it you know, it should be in in uh in good faith and and make that known and offer uh, you know, to keep that conversation going through follow-up, et cetera. And, you know, and look, I,
2: I would say um, don't do it alone. In, in my view, the biggest uh, mistake uh, general counsel m- makes in this regard is to treat it as if it's just a pure li- litigation matter. Mm-hmm. It's not. The collegial of a congressional hearing can bring all kinds of reputational damage to a client. Um, you may need to bring a multidisciplinary approach to this lawyers who understand congressional process and the law of congressional oversight. Uh, Trevor And the politics and the media. Politics, all these things all play into The public it. relations, all those things are important. Yeah, and, and Relationships I, are always important.
4: Trevor Burrus Exactly. And just on the relationships, you can't, I think, as as the target of, of congressional oversight, underestimate the extent to which hiring the right counsel – who have the right relationships with the right staffers and members mm-hmm. can make a huge difference, like in any other you know, aspect of professional life. But it's especially important on the Hill, I think. And these yep. are
0: all and when you get a letter like this, they're requesting a usually reams of documents. Getting in there early and having those conversations to negotiate down what you may need to produce, mm-hmm. it helps you but it also helps them because they have very limited staff on a right. lot of these committees. And if they can get to a smaller batch of documents that they have to review, it can it can help you in your review costs and what you need to produce and mm-hmm. also help them into getting to what they need.
1: So an so oversight, it's be calm. Don't panic. Uh, make sure you have the right broad sweep of – folks. So it's not just a, quote, legal issue. There's multiple, especially from Congress, multiple facets to it to understand. But also uh, recognize that the relationships matter and going in there and sitting down and not panicking and ignoring uh, is probably the, when people start doing that. It's like I, I use this as an example. It's not probably the best example. But when I took my mom's car and wrecked it when I was a 16-year-old, I had two choices. Tell her, or hide. Uh, telling her was better in the long term. And uh, she's still my mother and <laughs> she still loves me and that's a good end result. Uh, but, but it is that kind of moment when you see that, what do you do? And I think, Zach, the way you said, just don't, don't panic uh, and then look at it because every element of what they're asking may be a little different than what you interpret and getting the right people around you to make those decisions.
4: Yeah, and everything is negotiable. The rules, uh, to Will's point, the rules of uh, procedure on the Hill or the absence of rules, it's a very, very different reality than civil litigation, which a lot of company GCs are used to. And then I would just offer the the observation that generally – Congressional oversight investigations are not like fine wine. They do not get better with age. (laughs) So to Zach's point, I think it's important. You turn the vinegar quick. (laughs) Exactly. You've got to engage early and try to make it a win-win. Give the committee what it needs while minimizing the cost and exposure for the client and get out.
1: Excellent. Thank you guys very much again, Greg, Bill, Will, Zach. Thank you very much for being part of this today. And uh, this is, again, a continued series of Brownstein podcasts on issues happening in Washington, D.C. and what our team can do. Thank you all. Thank
0: you. Thank you Thank you, thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.